Now enjoy Tom Collins, part four, Club Soda. Chapter 20 It's been one week since my conversation with Tim, and I haven't left my bed since. I've avoided all contact with humans, thinking, once I'm not tangled in a web of uncertainty, maybe it'll be easier to break the news to the people closest to me. I'm hoping this story has a good ending, but I haven't heard from Liv yet, and each day that passes makes the odds feel like they're getting worse and worse. The only time I get out of bed is to piss, shit, eat, or wash. The last of the four I've done sparingly. What's the difference? I can't smell my own body odor anyway. My life is hanging in the balance, and it's making me think too much about everything I do. Just whether to leave the house gets questioned. Why? I could just watch another episode of whatever the fuck I'm watching. It's easier, that's for sure. Or I could just eat another peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Shit, I have no more bread. Do I have to leave the house? Fuck it, I'll just use some crackers instead. I'm frozen in time. Every movie triggers the voices in my head, and any song makes my eyes water. Even playing with myself is a risk to my emotional state. I pick up the guitar a few times, but my hands feel like stones, and it only reminds me of her. So I put it down as fast as I picked it up. I watch Aladdin, and the rest of the day I keep staring at my sock drawer, waiting and wishing for the genie to pop out and grant me three wishes. I try to listen to Imagine a few times, but can't even get through the album once. That's possibly the worst thing I did. I can smell her, taste her, feel her, and I keep wondering why I still haven't heard from Lev. Where is she? What is she doing? Why hasn't she texted me? I do hear from my parents about coming for dinner on Sunday, but not even that can get me out of the house. I text them that I can't make it. They're probably disappointed, but that's nothing compared to the disappointment they'll have when they find out what happened. I see a message from my brother Jacob, too. Something about me having to come visit him on the other coast. I tell him things are too busy right now. My whole family dynamic is out of whack. I'm supposed to be the one with my shit together, not falling apart. What do I even tell them all? I threw away my six-figure job because I was fucking the boss's wife and fell in love with her? It sounds like a damn fairy tale. Nobody would even believe that. Jack is the only one I almost reach out to. He tries to contact me a bunch over the weekend, but all I can do is text him. I'm tied up. I need some consoling, not someone fucking with me. He would just tell me that he warned me, and now let's go make the most of that free time. Maybe he'd be right, but right now I can't hack it. I know he has Emma's number, so that would be a way to possibly contact Liv, but she told me to wait for her. I just want to send a smoke signal. Hey, I'm alive. Do you remember me? After I draw up my resignation letter, I get calls and voicemails from coworkers, all wanting to know why I left, how it happened, and where I was going. Undercuffler and Olsen are more concerned than their usual dick selves. Olsen even uses the term, you were at the top of the mountain, a phrase that cuts straight through my wounded skin and spikes my nervous system. They'll all find out eventually. These things find their way through an office, God bless Tim. Poor guy. It's not the easiest situation to navigate. It's best to not answer anyone and let the dust settle. I don't have the guts to answer anyway. Dear Mr. Alexander, 
Please accept this letter as notice that I will be resigning from my job at Perkins LP, effective immediately. I will be moving on to explore different interests and opportunities. Thank you for the support and opportunities that you've provided me throughout my employment. If there is anything I can do to help the transition in finding a replacement, please let me know. Sincerely, Christian Ballantyne. The resignation letter is simple and nondescript. A bunch of times I think about the legality around Tim forcing my hand. Sure, I could have sued or put up a fight. Maybe I should have. But the truth of the matter is, I deserved it. Plus, if I managed to stay, what would that have been like? Tim still would be my boss. How could I work like that every day? The flubs would be ordeals, and wins would be worthless. Just a ticking time bomb, really. What's done is done. So, here I lie in a malaise thicker than a dense fog. Love sick. The minutes and days blend together. But there's a first time for everything, I guess. The lone spots of happiness are the memories of the time spent with Liv, and the hope that we have more moments in the near future. I threw away my job in the name of love. In between daydreams, I hear a knock on the door. I can't distinguish whether it's an actual knock or a random noise coming from the TV. I prop myself up a little and listen, but don't hear anything. I stare back at the TV and watch lions hunt their prey in the African safari. Definitely no knocking there. But just the thought of someone at my door gives me anxiety. Nobody would expect me home on a Friday morning. Maybe I'm just hearing things. Fuck, am I losing it? A little time passes, but the possibility is driving me insane. I pry myself from the sheets and lumber into the living room. The sun is blazing through the open blinds. You can see a thin layer of dust covering everything in the room. And once my eyes hit the door, they scan down to the ground. There's an envelope on the floor. I walk over, look out the peephole, and see nobody. My back creaks as I bend down to pick up the envelope. Still curious, I open the door, poke my head out, look up and down the hallway, and nobody. While turning toward the couch, I release the doorknob from my grasp and allow gravity to slam the door shut. I plop myself down on the sofa and look at the envelope, handwritten and underlined in black sharpie. All it says is, Christian. I open it, and inside there's a note. Christian, I'm sorry it took me so long to contact you. I'm writing to let you know that, right now, we can't be together. I owe it to both myself and Tim to work on our marriage. He doesn't know I'm writing this letter to you, but I owe that to you. At least that. But I know you'll understand. Tim and I have been through things that most marriages never have to go through. When Chloe passed, there was a lot of rain. I tried to hide from it and Tim tried to mask it with the house, among other things. This is my shot at being like the ocean. Sometimes people flash into your life like a shooting star and remind you of all the possibilities that exist. You did that for me, Christian. The moments we had together were real. So real that you reminded me of who I was, who I am, and who I want to be. You've changed me forever. I'm so sorry to hear about work. But the Christian I know will find his way. Maybe in the future we'll meet again, under different circumstances. You'll always be in my heart. XO. Live. P.S. Never lose that playfulness. Life is too hard. A stake right through my heart. Every morsel of hope evaporates right before my eyes. I do all I can to hold the tears back, but I let one or two drip on the letter, and some of the black ink runs down the page. I use the pillows on the couch to wipe my face. 
I think about drinking to ease the pain, maybe even calling Handley, but I just end up sitting in the same spot, motionless, for the next two hours. Should I fight for her? That's the question I keep asking myself over and over. I still have to respect her wishes, even if I feel it in my heart that Liv should be with me. She went from separated and looking for a fresh start to a married woman working on her marriage. How can I disrupt that? I can't. How foolish am I to think I can just waltz in and steal her away from a ten-year marriage? Did I honestly think this was ever going to end with rainbows and sunshine? I guess I did. I scream into a pillow. <coughs> Wait, is she the one who slid the letter under my door? She was right there and the only thing separating us was a locked door. Fuck, it doesn't even matter. She doesn't need to say why she wrote the letter rather than text me or why she didn't orchestrate some face-to-face. -face. I know it's better that I don't have her number or any way of contacting her. Sure, I wish I got to see her once more, but I know that having this conversation in person is just not possible. Fuck me. All those visions of white chariots, one-on-one -on -one concerts, and life-changing sunsets abolished with one letter. No more jet ski rides or ice cream in the cold weather. At least I have plenty of rain to walk in. Damn it, Christian. The emptiness of my apartment reminds me that I'm alone, and the loneliness is only compounded by the letter in my hand. The harsh reality of being womanless and jobless starts to sink in. Finding a new gig isn't really bothering me as much as it probably should be, though. Selling organizations are always looking for salespeople with a good track record, and that is something I have. I don't know what the future holds, but I know it's liveless. That makes me cry some more. I feel like someone ripped my heart out, smashed it with a meat tenderizer until it resembled a piece of jerky, then gave it back to me and said, Here you go. You'll be fine. Go live the rest of your life. Now I'm really screwed on what to tell everyone. Liv was my fallback the escape net that allowed me to jump out the back window and ride off into the countryside. Last week, I was the golden goose, and this week, I'm the golden dipshit. I've been in the same position, sunk into the couch, and legs perched on the coffee table for so long that there's indents on my calves and I can't feel my feet. And my ass is numb. I let out a sigh and lie down on the sofa, completely stretched out. I look at the letter once more, lay it on my stomach, and close my eyes. Maybe when I wake up, it will say something different. The dried tears leave hard crust around my eyes. I can see nothing but black, and I can finally smell my B.O. I'm confused, shirtless, and reaching around for anything to throw over my body. My hand crunches a piece of paper, and the crinkle noise reminds me of reality. Fuck that. I throw the letter to the ground, stumble toward the kitchen, open the fridge, and start downing a gallon of milk. When I finally come up for air, my eyes hit the stove clock. Damn, it's 9pm. I slept right through the day. The walk continues to the bathroom, where I don't even bother to flick on the lights. I'm sporting a piss belly and need some relief. It's only through that process I finally begin to gain my balance. I'm actually alive, and human. I turn on the lights, look in the mirror, and hate what I see. A combination of Einstein and Frankenstein. Probably too generous. A monster, certainly. I splash some water on my face. Nothing changes, so I do it again. Nothing. Again and again. Nothing. I tilt my head and ask myself, is this who I am? Suddenly I hear a banging on the door. Not again. What this time, I think. Pound, pound, pound. 
Christian, I know you're in there. I saw your car in the lot, a voice yells. Pound, pound, pound. I stumble my way over to the door, and the voice howls out again. Christian, come on, open up. Pound, pound, pound. Now I'm close enough to recognize the voice. I peer through the peephole just to confirm it's Jack. Shit, what am I going to tell him? I open the door and Jack looks me up and down. You look like shit, dude, he says. Ugh, and you smell like shit, too. I'm happy to see you, too. Come in. I've been hitting you up all week and I've heard nothing from you. Then today I talked to Emma and I heard some shit. I didn't even know whether it was true or not. I had to come over here to see what the hell was going on. Did you quit your job? I run my hand through my hair and take a deep breath. Something like that, I say. It's complicated, you know? Jack takes a seat on the stool in the kitchen. Well, it doesn't sound complicated to me, he says. Sounds like you quit your job. Did Emma tell you that Tim found out about everything? I say. That he cornered me and gave me an ultimatum? Jack walks over to the fridge, looks in, then responds. What? What ultimatum? Dude, you need some fucking food in here. You're gonna starve to death. I proceed to tell him the abbreviated version of the story while he rummages through nothing. He snaps his head out of the fridge and stares at me. Wait, so you left your job for Liv? He says. Dude, Emma told me that Liv and Tim are working on their marriage. I sigh, pause, then yell. Well, I know that now. You gotta understand, the last time we spoke she told me she wanted to be together, in Golden Beach. Then it all happened so quickly, I had no choice. What was I supposed to do? Well, for starters, not quit your fucking job. This is the problem with matters of love. Nobody, not even the people closest to you, understands the nuance of the situation. They try, but everything from the outside always leans more to rational thinking. Nobody can understand the emotional element to the degree it actually exists or needs to be understood. It's the most annoying thing in the world. I mean, you can't blame them. It's a near impossible task. But that's why I'm not even going to bother explaining it further to Jack. I'd rather just take the verbal beating. So, you've just been holed up in this place all week? He continues. No wonder you look and smell like ass. Thanks, man. Sorry, dude, but it's true, he says. I won't keep breaking your balls about it. This is brutal. Have you started looking for another job? I look at him. Okay, bad question. Clearly, you haven't. Well, you'll find one. You're a stud, dude. What I need you to do right now, though, is get your ass showered. We gotta get you out of this house and go have some fun. And we're not going to talk about Liv or any of this bullshit. Got it? Every ounce of me wants to wallow. But Jack is probably right. Getting out is probably good. And hearing other voices besides the one in my head might be a good thing, too. Okay, I guess. I say. I am fucking starving. I've been eating peanut butter and jelly all week. Jack laughs. You're a mess, he says. We'll go into the city, grab a late dinner, and take it from there. Now go shower. Okay, give me 30 minutes to get my shit together. I'm gonna wait downstairs in the car. This place smells horrible. Get a house cleaner or something. With my forehead leaning on the shower wall in front of me, the steaming hot water beats on the back of my head, and I watch it run off my body and down the drain. The filth and debris of physical and emotional wreckage is rinsing off me. Or at least... That's the story I'm telling myself. A night out in the city might be just what I need. Besides, I'm kind of missing my old friend Tom.
Chapter 21 Waking up naked on Saturday morning in a bed you've never been in before is both exciting and scary at the same time. The story is probably good, but there's always a handful of minds that can detonate and blow your whole life up. Did I make a baby last night? Get an STD? Is she a lunatic? <laughs> Those are some of the worst. Right now, it doesn't feel like I've slept much, and I know that feeling. It actually feels more like I've been hit by a dump truck. Oh, damn it, Christian. I begin to feel a tug on the sheet down by my left foot. Must be a dog or something. I feel two more tugs, so I pull back a little bit. This time, two words follow. Daddy, daddy. My eyebrows perk. Eyes slowly go up, and I pull the comforter over my head. Everything goes black for a moment, and I shift my head back and forth, up and down. Is this real? The voice rings out again. The sheet pulling intensifies. Just like MacGyver, I search for an escape route, but I've got nothing. I begin to poke around with my hands, land on a mini mountain of sorts. My god, it's a fake boob. A stark contrast from Liv's natural breasts. A jarring reminder of last night. And it starts to come back to me little by little. A nightclub. A woman who picked me up in some car, in the dusk till dawn partying. Who knew one fake boob could provide so much insight? Maybe the second will give me the details. On that thought, I hear those two words again, coming from the foot of the bed. Daddy! Daddy! I nudge the woman next to me. Wake up, wake up! She mumbles. What? What did you say? I whisper. There's a little girl pulling on the sheets calling me daddy. She rubs her eyes and says, What? I say it again. Hey! She shouts. Her head snaps up and out of the comforter, starts yelling in Spanish. I have no clue what she's saying. Some lady in an apron runs into the room, grabs the little girl, and scurries back to wherever she came from. What the hell is going on? I pull the comforter down. The sun seems to have extra power. I can barely open my eyes. I look over at her and get distracted for a moment. She's wearing pink panties, and her shape is like an hourglass. I guess things could be worse, but I shake my head to snap back to reality. Ugh, what the heck is going on? I ask her. Uh, that's my daughter? Daughter? I ask. Why is she calling me daddy? She looks at me with sad eyes and a beaten look on her face. Well, she says, daddy lives here with me, but he's away on business right now. What? I say. Is daddy your husband? She turns red and more sheepish. Yes, she mutters. I'm sorry I didn't tell you we were just, I don't know, having fun? There's no light too bright to keep my eyes from opening wide now. My mind, not so much. I still can't recall the details of last night, honestly. She might have even told me about the kid. This is bad. I just look ahead and she says, It's no big deal, he's probably doing the same thing. I look around and notice that I'm in an apartment hanging from the Manhattan sky with a massive wraparound balcony overlooking downtown. In a sober mind, that would have been my first indicator something was fishy, or the many ripped and destroyed canvas paintings that are resting on the marble floor. What are those? But when you're swept up in the energy of a night and a seductive smoke jumper comes to put out your fire, serendipity takes hold, and you're not asking too many questions. Who has time to pay attention to details? Can I go outside for a moment? I ask. I need to get some fresh air. Of course, it's beautiful out. I slide my jeans on, throw my tea over my head, and step out to the balcony to collect my thoughts. Figures that's what she says. It's beautiful out. Just your average day in paradise, 
I don't even know her name, but I can barely think straight. I begin to have deja vu. Another married woman? What the hell is wrong with me? At least I don't even remember what she feels or tastes like. If I don't remember it, did it really happen? I don't see a condom wrapper on the ground. Fuck. I hope it was good. I mean, she looks great. What is wrong with me? I walk over to the other side of the balcony. I want to see if there are any more surprises waiting for me, so I peek through the window. Nobody in there. Not even the maid or little girl. Just a sprawling living room with more paintings on the ground, and an elevator that opens just to this apartment. What the hell? I shake my head, walk back a few feet on the balcony, and peer into the window. The woman has her head buried in her cell phone. It jogs my memory. Where's my phone? I slide my hands into my pockets. Phew! And pull it out. It's dead. Christ, I have no idea where I am. Some undisclosed location in the city. It's probably owned by some guy who can walk through the door at any moment. At which point, he might try to throw me off this balcony. I gotta get the hell home, or at least charge my phone. I touch my face to make sure I'm not dreaming. What the hell? Shit, my nose is bleeding? I step back inside. Do you have a tissue? She grabs a few from the nightstand next to the bed and points to the TV. Must be from that over there, she says. I look back with the tissue dangling from my right nostril. There's a bag of white powder. I look back at her and ask, Cocaine? She shakes her head up and down. You don't remember? Wow, you were messed up. I hope you remember me, she giggles. We ran into some American guy, Logan, Landon. We took Molly and you brought that back, she says, pointing again. We were partying like rock stars. Oh, now it's starting to come back to me. There's no Logan or Landon. We ran into fucking Luke Handley. What about my friend Jack? I ask her. Where is he? He's the one who told you to go with me, she says, then starts screwing around on her cell phone again. Figures, but I don't have time to make sense of all this. I just want to go home. Any chance you can bring me back to Stamford? She picks her head up from her cell phone. Connecticut? She yells. Honey, you weren't that good. I don't drive either. I exhale. Ugh, you don't? No, I have a driver. That's how we got here last night, she says. My driver. He'll take you back. What about your husband? Oh, don't worry, she says. You think you're the first guy my drivers brought back here that wasn't my husband? She picks up the phone, speaks in Spanish, and all I can make out is Stamford, Connecticut. At least I know she got that right. I gotta get the F out of here. I'm two seconds away from a panic attack and I can still feel my eyes rolling around in my head. I give her a kiss on the cheek, thank her for the hospitality, and tell her to keep the blow. It is the most gentlemanly thing I can muster, given the situation. Never even got her name. Didn't care. She looks good, and that's the only memory I want to echo in my mind. But the memory soon gets spoiled as I wait for the elevator to take me downstairs. I hear something scurrying around behind me. Too big to be a mouse. Sounds more like a child. I look over my right shoulder and spot a little blonde ponytail with two blueberry eyes staring at me. I turn and pretend I didn't see her, check my nose for more blood. The elevator opens and I step in, scarred for life. I find myself right back where I started, slouched over on my couch. True to form, April showers are here, and I bet Liv is watching the rainfall on this lazy Sunday morning. Possibly listening to some old tunes or thinking about life. Or maybe I'm just dealing with another bout of wishful thinking. Man, 
I miss her. What happened to Saturday? I don't know. It's not even a memory, it's completely missing. I had to sleep all day just to get back to baseline. Some people might say Friday night is exactly what I needed. Drinking, partying, and apparently sex, but I feel worse. Just another bad decision in a series of many lately, only to be exacerbated by the last text I read from Jack. Great night, wasn't it? But I guess I'm not some people. Friday night didn't stop my leaky heart or mend my broken career. I slept with another married woman on the outs, and now each time I flush the toilet, I can see my life spinning down the bowl. It all felt good in the moment, but it left me unsatisfied and, worse, a little girl is ruined forever. And that's the thing I just can't shake. She's stuck in my mind like gum on a shoe. Even after you scrape it, small remnants linger just hoping the rain will wash it away, but knowing the cold hard ground will only embed it. It could have been Liv's daughter, my future daughter, or anyone's daughter. I violated a principle I live by. You can do bad shit to yourself, but don't do bad shit to other people. Sure, I've danced with the underworld, but those are adults. They know what they're doing. She was a helpless child. I have to clean my shit up. With the apartment still a disaster, Jack was right about something. Maybe I should get a house cleaner. But this seems like a good place to start for me. I begin with the bedroom, tidy up a bit, then spray down the bathroom and throw some laundry in. A smell of freshness is permeating the air, and it does make me feel a little better. When I get back to the living room, I get hit with a wave of melancholy again. Liv's crumpled up letter is still lying on the ground, and it's radiating heat signals to pull me in. I'm afraid to get closer, but it can't lie there forever. Ugh, I have to pick it up, but I don't have to read it. Of course, I open it. The streaky black ink is an instant reminder that pain has been here, and hurt still bubbles in my blood. A glutton for punishment, I take a deep breath and read it again. I don't get as sad this time around. Instead, I read it three more times. One line keeps jumping out to me. Sometimes people flash into your life like a shooting star and remind you of all the possibilities that exist. This rocks me, and I fall backward. Luckily, the sofa is underneath me, otherwise I'd have hit the floor. Upon landing, I feel a stab in my right butt cheek. I pop back up, look down, and there's nothing on the couch. I rummage through the cushions, still nothing. Then it dawns on me to check my back pocket. Sure enough, I feel something broken in two pieces. I don't even need to see it to know what it is. I remember wearing these shorts in Florida. I pull out two halves of a guitar pick, one with the initial T and the other a W. Broken, like the pick, I look back at Liv's note and read that line again. Sometimes people flash into your life like a shooting star and remind you of all the possibilities that exist. I hold the pick in one hand, letter in the other, and they feel like the morsel of hope I've been searching for. I'm either losing my mind or finding it. I slip, slide, and sprint across the hardwood. I barely make it to the bedroom in one piece. I throw Liv's note and Ty's pick onto my bed and rip through everything in my closet to find the suitcase I brought to Florida. I'm throwing clothes over my shoulder. Ty's letter is somewhere in here. Ah, finally. I find it and fall back on my bed to read it. There's a line that stops me. The dots connected along the way, as they will with you. You always gotta look at what's in front of you. Hmm, this takes the wind out of me. Don't all dots always connect after you live them? I picked Liv, quit my job, she picked Tim, and now I'm here, heartbroken and jobless. It dawns on me. That's exactly what Ty was trying to tell me. 
which is why you always gotta look at what's in front of you. If I stayed at Perkins, then I would have eventually become Tim, in some shape or form. Is that what I would have wanted? If I spend all my time with Jack, then I will eventually end up like Jack in some shape or form. The dots connect themselves along the way. Is that what I want? It hits me, and she pops back into my mind. Not Liv, the blonde ponytail and two blueberry eyes staring at me. The vulnerable little girl. Am I one of those dots? How will her dots connect? Still holding the note, I finish it. Don't kill yourself with consumption, kid, Ty wrote. I'll never tell you anything more important than that. I put the paper down and stare at the white ceiling. I listen to the rain streaming down the window and laundry tumbling in the dryer. Ty was on a consumption diet, something I'd never heard of before, but maybe it's necessary for our consumer-driven lifestyles. Always balancing the consumption with creation, the inevitable with the avoidable, the passive with the active. Perhaps life goes down easier that way. Or at least, tastes a little better. Have I created anything today? Seems like a daunting task. I know I didn't make a movie, paint a painting, or write a song, but is it possible that I've created nothing? What have I even done today? I ate some old cereal, watched TV, listened to music, and cleaned up a bit. The only thing that actually made me feel decent was cleaning the apartment. I guess I did create a clean environment. Maybe my view of creation is too small. And then there's Liv. With her, it wasn't the things that brought me close to her. It was the relationship and experiences we created together. And now she lives inside me forever. Never lose that playfulness was the last thing she wrote me. Life is too hard. As the rain continues to run on the window, I lift my head up and look around. I see Ty's broken guitar pick, and rather than piece it together, I pick up my own. I grab a pad and pen, jot down some lines, and strum a few chords. I take solace, knowing that my next Tom Collins might be the best I ever had. Hey, it's Doug again, and this is the final time you're going to be hearing my voice, but I did truly want to thank you for listening to the first season of Slightly Crooked, Good Stories Told Well. The show would not have been possible without the excellent narration work of Adam Cunliffe and producer extraordinaire Dave Lashansky. Of course, at this time, I want to invite you to share the podcast with a friend, leave a review, and most importantly, follow or subscribe so you don't miss when season two drops. Yes, that's right. There's a season two already in the works. And lastly, of course, you've heard me say it all throughout the show. If you'd like to read the actual novel or just support me, Tom Collins, A Slightly Crooked Novel is available to purchase at Amazon, Apple iBooks, Google Play, Kobo, and Barnes & Noble. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to me.